The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Yes, it is The Big Lead. It is also The Big Show. Dory Monson's Big Show. Brandy Cruz filling in for another two days till the new year when Dory is going to be back in action, ready to go. There's been so many good stories over the last two weeks, too, for a holiday that he's going to be all wound up. Ready to to talk? Oh, about he's them. collecting. He's already oh. let me know. I'm. Uh, we're gonna have to talk about all of this again. <laughs> he's so funny because you know the other person who's comparative to uh, Dory to me is uh, David Rose over at Fox 13, who I used to work with. They don't stop. They don't. And in fact, David just sent us a story the other day on his vacation. He said, "I'm on vacation. <laughs> I can't do the story here. You guys do it." <laughs> yeah, David Rose does not stop. He that man works so hard. But Dory, Dory too. To his own detriment, by the way. (laughs) All right, let's get to the big lead this hour. The big lead, big local. A story Dory's been talking a lot about that um, has gotten a ton of attention over the past year or so is what's going to happen in our state with drug possession. Of course, the Washington State Supreme Court, in what is referred to as the Blake decision, shot down and essentially nullified our state's felony drug possession law. Uh, And that means that whether you knowingly or unknowingly had meth or heroin or fentanyl in your pocket, uh, you can literally use the not my pants defense, by the way. Um, And there's no way for you to be charged with that. So basically, the legislature put a little Band-Aid over it. And it's this convoluted process where you've got to offer, like if I'm a cop and I see someone with uh, heroin um, that – otherwise would have been a felony prior to the Blake decision. I've got to offer them help uh, for their drug addiction at least three times before anything can be done about it. The problem is there's there's no system that tracks how many warnings someone has received. And so you could go with your heroin in Seattle, get a warning from an officer. You could go up uh, to, to the city of Arlington uh, with your heroin, get a warning, and nobody's tracking that. So basically the Band-Aid means absolutely nothing. And to this point, we don't know if Democrats in Olympia, this legislative session, are going to be going to be willing to fix what the Blake decision did and what their Band-Aid failed to fix. So some cities are starting to try to figure out a workaround on their own. And the city of Marysville is one of those jurisdictions. And I will just say for the record, we're going to have Marysville Mayor John Nearing on at the bottom of the hour. He is one of these mayors that I just love. Because he's like, look, I'm not going to rely on and sit here and complain about what the legislature is or is not going to do. I'm going to try to problem solve and we're going to try to find a way to fix this issue in our own city if they're not going to do it. Uh, And I just I love that in politicians who are willing to just say, I can't I can't rely on what's happening at the federal level. What's happening at the state level. I'm going to do what I can to help my city. So uh, in the city of Marysville, they passed two ordinances to try to kind of work around this issue. And those ordinances went into effect on December the 17th. So they haven't been in place very long. I think time will tell whether they're going to be successful. But what it allows them to do is that the two ordinances are, are this. They will. Um, make it a crime at the city level to have an illegal drug that you don't have a prescription for out out in public, right? And then also they have an issue with behavior of some of these drug users, et cetera, on public transit. That's freaking people out up there. Um, a lot of cities are dealing with that. And so uh, they also have a new municipal uh, code that they've put into a place that allows them to better deal with people who are causing a stir on public transportation, 
Um, Marysville, uh, Como News spoke with residents of Marysville who say that, look, is it the problem? That, is it the extent of the problem they're having in Seattle? Of course, of course not. But for folks up in Marysville, they say, yeah, it's very noticeable and it's an issue. So I think there's a lot of homelessness and there's a lot of people that are using drugs maybe to deal with it. I see fights. I've been threatened. Um, guy threatened to kill me on the bus, threatened to kill other people. And of course, he's high, very high. Yeah, Como spoke to another resident who says that they want the city to be able to do something about this. I'm up for municipalities being a- able to uh, uh, dictate the directions of their own communities. Yeah, and then uh, Como also spoke to another resident and others who say, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a fix or not. You see people get arrested and they're right back out doing drugs on the street again. You can send them to treatment all day, but I don't think it works unless they truly want to quit. Can I just side note? Can we do a little side note? I hate man on the street interviews. We used to call them, so it's called MOS in TV. And it's, I refuse, so this is funny, when I took the job in TV, because I used to work here at Cairo Radio for a couple years, and then I took the job in TV news, I had like a couple uh, non-negotiables and when I took the job, and I don't know if they really took them seriously as non-negotiables, but I'm like, I will not do MOS. <laughs> it was like one of my really? things. Sometimes I will not do MOS. Can get. Yeah, but it doesn't add anything. You're right. It's like, did you hear this first lady? Hold on a second. And no offense, I'm sure this is a very nice woman just giving mm-hmm. her opinion to Como. So I think there's a lot of homelessness, and there's a lot of people that are using drugs maybe to deal with it no you don't i mean i'm sorry but you don't all of a sudden start using heroin because you're homeless i think it's the other, the other way, way around, around. The other yeah. way around. so occasionally yeah. there's a good cut that comes sure. out of it occasionally no this is what and there's a million people you can talk to i'm sorry como gosh i'm being mean today brandy it's almost a new year season of goodwill be kind but i mean there's this this these kind of stories drove me crazy because it's like you can talk to a million different people, lawmakers, hey, this is going on. What are you going to do about this? Get all this different information and make it a meaty, meaningful story. And instead, you're like, hey, what do you think about this? It's like the most lazy form of journalism. Anyway, now that I'm off that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't even know who did this story, but this was a pet peeve of mine. Um, uh, so we're going to have Marysville Mayor John Nearing on coming up at 1230 to talk about this. And like, do I think... That this is a solution. No, because then you end up with this patchwork across the state of cities who do something, who don't do something. And then you have a drug user who maybe they don't like the way that Marysville is now enforcing these things. So they're just going to go to Arlington or they're going to go down to Everett. Uh, but I, I, as I said, I applaud them for trying, for saying – and we talked about this on Dory Show yesterday – that there have been 200 bills pre-filed ahead of the 2023 legislative session, half from Democrats, about half from Republicans. And there are no no bills on that list from the majority party, which will dictate how the session goes. There are no bills in that list dedicated to fixing this problem. And that's deeply disappointing to me. You know, I see bills in there. There's this bill once again, like they pu- pushed last legislative session to um, name an official state dinosaur and it's like look i like fun i'm a fun person i I think lawmakers should be able to have fun once in a while but i also think we have a heck of a lot more pressing issues than naming susiosaurus rex the official dinosaur of washington state i don't know if that's how you pronounce it so forgive me paleontologists if i butchered that and it's like some people might say oh well it's just a fun thing it'll be quick no every single bill you introduce takes time to go through the process and you might think this is just a fun, quick thing, but every single minute you spend on Susiosaurus Rex 
that's a minute you've taken away from finding meaningful solutions to the drug crisis, to the homeless crisis, to the crime crisis. So when I look at these 200 pre-filed bills, and I don't see any meaningful effort from Democrats to deal with any public safety issues, and no, I do not consider their gun control proposals meaningful public safety efforts, um, then it's just bothersome to me. And one of the other things, you know, I was looking the other day because over the summer months, you may recall that all of a sudden, Democrats leading up to the midterm election had this about face on public safety. And all of a sudden, they were the biggest number one supporters of law enforcement. All of a sudden, they cared deeply about the crime crisis. And it was so transparent to any of us who've been through enough of these election cycles to see what was going on. But as an example, Jay Inslee, What did Jay Inslee say back during the police defunding debate in Seattle? What did he say? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He didn't come out against police defunding. He just stayed silent. And then all of a sudden over the summer, I think it was in July, totally unprompted at a press conference, he comes out and says, this police defunding thing, I don't agree with it. It's like, okay, thank you for saying that two years after it would have made a difference. And then he goes out and he has this press conference where he's uh, standing in front of law enforcement and he's talking about his plan to recruit new law enforcement officers. And it was so transparent. It's like, you just don't want your party to lose in November. And then you had Attorney General Bob Ferguson. We talked about this yesterday who he didn't say anything when there was widespread looting in Seattle and Bellevue in 2020. Didn't say anything. And then he comes out this summer in June and he announces a retail theft task force. It's like, well, that would have been helpful in 2020 as they were using the the, uh, the guise of protests to hide their illegal behavior and in, in looting businesses. And then you had um, some Democrats who had really tough reelection bids, like State Senator Emily Randall, the Democrat over in Bremerton. And she was going up against Republican Jesse Young. Well, I went back yesterday and I was looking at um, a candidate forum they held at the end of September. And Emily Randall is talking in this candidate forum a month and a half before the election that she wants to find a meaningful solution to the Blake decision and realizes that what they did just isn't enough. Do you think in those 200 pre-filed bills that Emily Randall has put one forward that is going to fix the Blake decision? Of course not. And so it's like, I just wish voters would... Yeah, and I realize that not everyone is drowning in politics like I am, like Dory is, like Nicole is. I, I get that. But I wish that people would have enough respect for themselves to hold the people they voted to voted for to account when they promise them things, give them lip service in the lead up to elections. And then they just, a month later, not even a month later, they're like totally forgot about all the promises they made. It's totally troubling to me. Uh, So, again, we're going to talk with Marysville Mayor John Nearing coming up uh, at 1230 here on The Big Show about their efforts at a city level to try to get around some of these disastrous uh, policy making decisions at the state level and from the Washington State Supreme Court. All right. Coming up next on The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Top trending. So just a couple more days left in 2022. And of course, with a new year typically comes some new laws. Uh, And I always it's always interesting to be reminded of the laws that are going to take effect that you kind of forgot had passed. This was one of them for me. Um, And maybe it's because I work for myself now. So salary conversations really don't don't mean anything to me. But one of the laws that is going to go into effect here in 2023 is that employers in Washington state have to disclose publicly the pay range for any job listing that they might post in the new year. 
And I have, I'm kind of torn on this. Nicole and I, we have a similar opinion. We're talking about our friend Jason Rance, though, who totally vehemently disagrees with us on this. But let's um, talk, let's listen to the story from King Five. We'll kind of pause it along the way, but they explain essentially what would be required of businesses. Starting Sunday, Washington employers will be required to disclose up front what they intend to pay, shifting the power balance and addressing wage gaps based on race or gender. Do I need to get, you told me to have the woke word dice ready. I don't have... Dory's dice. However, I do have this. This is good. I have a uh, a pint of blueberries. Yeah, that actually works well. <laughs> this does work well. All right, I'm just going to gear up the woke word dice because this is a King Five story after all. Mm-hmm. All right, let's continue. Promoting equity at, uh, in the hiring process. It levels the playing field. But the job seeker is a hot commodity right now, says this local labor economist. Employers are. Com- functionally competing against each other for a scarce labor market. And right now, employers already face a competitive environment. This is really going to also not only signal to job seekers what they can be making, but also signaling to other employers what they're offering. That's why it could make things even more competitive for employers. It absolutely could, uh, with employers being able to see what they are offering each other. These Seattle transplants look forward to the change. And hopefully it's a step in the right direction for people like me that are just trying to, you know, afford to live in in an area like Seattle. But what's stopping an employer from finding a loophole by listing an unreasonably wide pay range? That that has been my experience in um, positions, yeah, the where the where the range is like insane. According to the policy, they should quote provide the applicant with the employer's most reasonable and genuinely expected range of compensation for the job. Yeah, I don't see how they're going to enforce that. Don't have an expected range? The policy suggests creating one prior to publishing the posting. We're still at the beginning of an experiment. Yeah, an experiment. You know, that's funny because I feel like a lot of the uh, laws passed in Olympia are just experiments. And then we try to find out how they actually work out. And I agree that I think there's a lot of elements of this law that um, employers can find kind of a workaround. And, you know, I, I, I do foresee them probably lowering the lower end of the range. And then raising the higher end of the range and just making some big thing where it's like, oh, you're going to wind up somewhere in this, somewhere in this one hundred thousand dollar pay range. But I do having worked in in news and I hate to keep going back to that because I realize um, those of you, most of you listening probably haven't worked in news. But I think it's an example of there is a lot of pay disparity in news and it really comes down to like what you can negotiate. And do you have an agent who's negotiating? Is that agent helping you out? I mean, and I, I will confess that when I was at Fox, I was probably one of the higher paid people in the building, but I negotiated it, you know, all myself. So I think that one of my hesitations about this is, am I capped by that upper range? If they hire me in this range that they disclosed publicly, what if I can convince them, you know, a couple years to pay me more? Like, I don't want to be capped by that. I think that's Jason's argument specifically is mm. that. Uh, well, and it also has to do with maybe if you see the range and the range is low that you won't even apply because because you know you're worth more than that. But maybe but that's you're, fine. maybe the employer. Well, but he's saying maybe the employer would have figured out how to get you up to your range had he known you were going to be the person applying for it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that comes down to them honestly posting what the range is and truly what the highest they're willing to pay someone for the job is. And I always appreciate it. You know, I had bosses before where they said, look, this is 
you're at the highest. We can't go any higher than that. And then you get to decide as an individual, do I look for a different job? And I always appreciated that kind of honesty and being able to get to that point where it's like, okay, well, if that is the highest and I need more money than that, then I'm going to go look for a different job. So I think the positives of this are, I do think it saves the job seeker time. You know, I just had a friend who was applying for a job. I won't say who it is, but um, who was applying for a job recently and got through like four or five interviews before they even mentioned pay. And to me, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of everyone's time. Um, And so I think knowing going in, generally speaking, what the pay is and whether it is you think commensurate with your skill level, et cetera, I do think that that's helpful for everyone because I I also don't get that process if you're the business and you're going to like not tell them what the pay is until the fourth or fifth interview and then they leave. Didn't you just waste all that time recruiting someone who didn't want the job anyway? So I do think on the front end, it saves a lot of time. Uh, And it also helps you realize, like, okay, if that's what they're saying the top end is, am I willing to enter a job that that is the highest that I Mm – that's the most money I can make? Yeah. I mean, I can – sometimes I don't even like my own arguments for this, but I know of roles that have been paid differently based on gender and based on – just favoritism and so it's when I've found out things like that then it's very frustrating where you're like wait I was doing more that person was getting paid more I I I do sometimes see like well I guess you know they became a favorite for a reason right so maybe that that's why they got paid more but I also but I think when it's coming from corporations and things like that that there has to be some balance between um or, or some something in there that's a, that people are able to say hey I'm getting screwed I'm going to go look for another job because you're not forced to work anywhere right so I'm getting screwed. I'm going to go look for another job because that per- I'm never going to reach what that person's making and that's not okay with me. So I I don't know. I think it gives I think it gives the employee a little bit more knowledge to decide whether they want to work for these people and I think that's good. I also understand how it's problematic for the employer because you want to be able to negotiate. Yeah, I mean I also do not I do not agree with the sentiment that you have to have the same pay for the same job. I think that you can have two no. people in the same job who are performing in much different ways. For sure. You know, this idea that a man and a woman in the same job have to be paid the same. Well, are they doing as well as each other? <laughs> you know, right. Are they doing as much as each other? And so right. I never liked this idea that, you know, like when I was at Fox, that I'd have to feel guilty for making more than someone else who did a similar job to me. It's like, no, I'm working 80 hours a week. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, it's I'm different. in here all the time, no matter what. And so I think it's different. And I think that... Uh, employers need to be able to, I mean, what's unfair is if you realize like, hey, I've been here longer, I'm doing more work than this person and they Mm -hmm. came in after me and they're getting more money. I think that there's, part of that is there is this real um, hesitancy to talk about salary amongst your peers and amongst your coworkers. Mm -hmm. I think in our generation and previous generations, that was like a, you don't talk about pay, you don't talk about religion, whatever it is. A couple months ago, I was making a point about this stupid policy with the um, student loan forgiveness. And I posted my salary on Twitter. And remember Dory's reaction? He was like, you did what? Oh, and yeah. I, was like, he's a, I was like, but who cares? I don't work there anymore. And I think that there, I think if you opened up a little bit to your peers about, well, here's how much I'm making. I don't, I don't see a downside in that. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of catch some of the inconsistencies. But again, if your peer is working way harder than you, you shouldn't expect to make the same amount of uh, money on as them. So I think it's complicated. Right. I wish... Like some of these issues that we're we're discussing, I wish could be taken into account with teacher salary because mm-hmm. they're all on a scale where this is what you get, this is what you get no matter what. It's a government and, job, yeah. Right. But then that's where um, 
Well, yeah, but not all government jobs operate like that. That's a union thing. Well, where, they mostly like, have you're a pay there. band. Um, yeah, but this is, it's a union thing where if you're here this long, you get paid this much. So then there's no reward for good teachers. There's no punishment for bad teachers, yeah. right? So I wish there was more of that taken into those types of jobs. Yeah. Put those into some It's interesting. Thoughts. Tell us what you think on the text line, 888-973-CAIRO. And that has been the big lead this hour. The big lead on Cairo Radio. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Marysville Mayor John Nearing to talk about what his city is trying to do to get around some of these disastrous policies at the state level related to drug possession. Stick around. Welcome back to the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in. We know that statewide... Trying to enforce drug laws has become a little more complicated after the Blake decision, which was a decision by the state Supreme Court that essentially nullified the state's felony drug possession law. The city of Marysville is trying to do something about it on its own, uh, facing challenges similar to what a lot of cities are facing, open air drug use, uh, weird behavior on public transit. We'll get into that. Joining us to discuss is Marysville Mayor John Nearing. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's discuss that point first. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about Seattle and open air drug use and drug dealing. And like I said, weird, uh, disturbing behaviors on public transit, probably tied to me- the mental health crisis. But to what extent mm-hmm. are you facing those kinds of issues in Marysville? Yeah, absolutely. So it's certainly nothing like you would see in Seattle, but it's also something that uh, is different from what we've experienced in the past in communities like ours. So uh, I would say it's it's not something that's in your face all the time, but if you live in Marysville and you drive about town over the course of a week, you will see these type of problems. And that's concerning to us. You know, it's not something we want to see in our community. We certainly don't want it to escalate uh, beyond what it is now, and we're not even comfortable with the level that we're facing now. So uh, it's, a, it's a growing concern, and it's something that, you know, you see more and more of. And I think the thing we've noticed, uh, Brandy, is we, about four or five years ago, it got to, to really difficult levels for us, and we implemented a, a number of measures um, that both held people accountable for these type of things as well as tried to get them into treatment. We were very successful with those. We graduated over 150 people through treatment, and we also you know, had to put some people in jail. I mean, that's just the bottom line, but we had really uh, gotten this down to a level where it wasn't nearly as noticeable as it was. In fact, I heard that over and over from community members, keep doing what you're doing. We've noticed the difference. And then, you know, over the last uh, year and a half or so, it started to jump back up again. Um, and so that's why we're, we, we don't want to go back to where we were four or five years ago and have to redo all the progress we made. So we're trying to, to do whatever we can now to scratch it back down to where it was. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you guys are, you know, and under your leadership, you guys are identifying these problems early because that's when you want it. And it, you're right, it is relative. You know, of course, it's not as bad as Seattle. If it ever is, you and I need to have a conversation. Right. <laughs> I'm sure Dory will have you back on. But you try to get to these issues early. And it's re- like you said, it's relative. And, and people in a, a city like Marysville, they notice it. So when it comes to the Blake decision and the Band-Aid that the legislature put on it, how has that, if at all, directly complicated your ability to try to have that sort of carrot-in-a-stick approach to, to drug users? It's complicated it a lot. Um, and I think you just cited, I think, the biggest problem with it. Um, we were already, and I think most cities throughout Washington State, were already leading with services and compassion. Um, but the thing that a lot of people, I think, don't realize when you just sit in a, in a room and make policy is that the reason people go into services that are suffering drug addiction 
at least in our community, I'll just speak for our community, but, but and I think I can safely speak for most of the mayors throughout Snohomish County, is because they don't want to face what what is coming uh, if they're prosecuted. Mm. So, in other words, if, if you're saying, look, we can prosecute all these crimes um, and, and, and you know, you'll be going to jail and you'll be dealing with, with all of this, or we can get you into a treatment program, a 30, 60, 90-day treatment program, get some temporary housing and some other things around you. You know, the people that we were getting into treatment were choosing that because they didn't want what was behind door number two. And in a lot of cases, Brandy, even they would sometimes we would have to to prosecute them and put them in jail. But then after they had detoxed in, in jail for a few days, they figured out, you know what, can I still get that offer of treatment? And we and we would do that. Uh, that that was always the goal. And so I think the problem isn't, and this is where I think the misnomer was, it isn't that all of us cities are just clamoring to put a bunch of people that are suffering from drug addiction in jail. Nobody wants to do that. It's expensive. Right. It's a nightmare for everybody. But if you don't have that uh, legitimate ability to ensure accountability, it's really, really hard to get people into treatment. Um, your, your numbers of people going into treatment drastically reduced. I think the mayor of Everett cited that I don't know that they've had a single person voluntarily take treatment under this current um, uh, Blake uh, fix where you have to offer treatment up to three times before you can prosecute. Right. And then there's no tracking for that, if, if my understanding is correct. Right. It's like, well, yeah, exactly. you've offered them it how many times? You can't even keep track yeah. of it. Um, so and then they bounce to another city and start over. And Yeah. Right. So you guys have had two new ordinances there on the books for about a, a little over a week now, I think, since December 17th. And I, I think yeah. when I first glance at them, I'm a little confused by them because the goal of them is to um, prohibit inappropriate behavior on public transit and yep. then prohibit the use of controlled substances in public, but aren't there are already laws covering both of those things. So explain to me kind of yeah. why you felt the need that to, to specifically pass these two new ordinances. Yeah, that's a real, really good question. I'll start with the public drug consumption one. And yes, you know, we're trying to scour every available option we have here. So I don't want to paint this as, you know, that this is going to be some dramatic uh, silver bullet for this problem or anything. But what, what the situation is, so you have state regulations, you have state RCWs that cover public alcohol use, uh, public marijuana, use of marijuana in public. There's no analogous state law for the use of other controlled substances. And so in the past, what would happen, uh, you were able to deal with this by, you know, for people using, let's say they were using fentanyl or meth in public or whatever, you would charge the person with possession. And that's how it was dealt with. Uh, it was a Class C felony. Uh, you know, it had you know it had prison time. It had fines. It had all those various things that you could prosecute under. Well, with Blake, what happened is realistically now that's gone. That is an option because, like we just discussed, you you could charge him with it, but all you can do is say, "Hey, do you want to go into treatment?" And they say, "No, buzz off," and that's the end of the story. Uh, until you, unless you can track you know, a third time of doing that and they stay in your city and, and all that works out, which is very, very rare. And so that's where we ran into the situation. It's like, okay, well, we have something for alcohol. We have something for marijuana. But this old controlled substances one where we would charge with possession is now gone with the Blake fix that mm-hmm. the legislature instituted. So we created our own city ordinance um, that would allow our officers to prosecute locally in our municipal court here. Um, and so you know, there's a misdemeanor. So it's, it just gives us an option to prosecute something locally for public uh, drug consumption here in our local municipal court. So that's, 
you know, it was, you know, thanks to our police chief and our, our city attorney kind of looking at this. And, um, and I think the city of Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, did something similar. And it just is it, it allows us something at least to work off of. Yeah. And I mean, I think the frustration I'm sure with you and the frustration with me with all this is like it shouldn't be necessary. <laughs> we shouldn't right. be. We shouldn't have to. Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't be in this position to have to find this convoluted uh, workaround to somehow do something about this kind of behavior. Again, we're speaking with Marysville Mayor John Nearing about two new ordinances they put on the books to try to deal with some of the issues they have with open air drug use uh, in the city. John, stick around because I want to continue this conversation. We'll be right back on the Dory Monson Show. Welcome back to the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in. We've been speaking with Marysville Mayor John Nearing about how his city is trying to kind of find workarounds to the Blake decision, which nullified the state's uh, law in regards to felony drug possession. Uh, Mayor Nearing, though, we have a legislative session coming up. Um, I, I have there are about 200 pre-filed bills and I railed on this on Dory Show yesterday and none of them represent a an effort from Democrats in the majority party to fix the Blake decision or to fix the police pursuit law. That doesn't mean they're not going to do it. They just haven't pre-filed anything. What is your hope, I guess? What would you ask of the majority party when session begins? Yeah, I would ask um, that they that they look at this from the standpoint of given this, you know, I know this may, may be something that's difficult, but look at it, give, this, give cities and police departments the benefit of the doubt that they want to lead with treatment because that I think was their whole goal of this mandatory service offering, right? They were concerned that, Oh, you know, you may have cities that just want to round these people up and throw them in jail. Well, people, cities don't have the money for that. There's, there's not, you know, not the jail space for that. They don't have the medical services for that. So nobody wants to do that. I've never, I've never talked to a mayor or police chief that wants to do that. We certainly don't here in Snohomish County and in Marysville. So I'd say start with the changing that presumption that, Everybody wants to offer services. Everybody will be leading with offer services. We don't need a mandatory two or three or four and a tracking system for service offering. And give us back something that holds people accountable, something legitimate that holds people accountable. And to me, that has to include the possibility of incarceration. That's the only thing that will have the teeth enough to get people's attention that are suffering from these addictions to want to go into treatment. Because remember, if 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 they... How it's been explained to me by people that specialize in treating people with drug addiction is all they can think about is the next high. So if, if you're saying, you know, anything that, that doesn't offer them, that doesn't give them an accountability measure that will cost them that next high, they're not going to take it. So if you say, hey, we can prosecute you and send you to jail, they know right away, well, in jail, I'm not going to be able to get drugs. So would you rather be in jail detoxing in a cell or in a treatment facility mm-hmm. where you have care and, and, you know, a roof over your head and, and all of that? And so I think what we've got to do is just start with taking that presumption away that, that, and understanding the city's law for services. And then there has to be some type of accountability that has to include the possibility of incarceration. If those two things are met, I think we can go back to the successful embedded social worker programs we were when we were graduating 30, 40 people a year through drug treatment. Yeah, you just, it's such a good point that you're making there. And this is one of the things that bothers me in this sort of uh, blue and red, black and white world that we're living in. And, and you see it in the homeless crisis, too, where people are like, well, if you want to sweep them, then you hate the homeless. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. you know, the threat right. of being moved around from place to place is a really uh, 
can be something that encourages people to finally get help. And the same when you talk about this carrot and a stick approach with drug abuse. So it just bothers me, this sort of black and white world that that folks paint when there's so much gray area between. Uh, John, like I said, this has been these two ordinances have been in place since December 17th. How long before you think you guys will have an idea of whether this is successful and maybe other cities can also start to replicate it? I think at about six to eight weeks, hopefully we'll have some data on on this that'll give us something to measure off of. That's kind of what the chief and I are looking at. So I'm hopeful by, you know, by the end of February, at least that, you know, we would have a couple, a couple of months of our officers on the street and, and seeing how this works and maybe, you know, maybe even have the ability to see how the court systems handle the, a few of these cases. And so I think that's a good measuring stick. And, um, and if I could back to the legislature, yeah. is that all right? If I go back yeah, to that for a minute? You know, our, we have a group formed in Snohomish County called Mayors and Business Leaders for Public Safety. Fifteen mayors and a number of business leaders in uh, in Snohomish County have, have formed this. And there is a light of hope, I, I will say, uh, a bipartisan group of legislators that we're working with, uh, four Republicans and four Democrats from Snohomish County, from our delegation, kind of a working group that is working on these issues in you know, I think we've seen uh, some framework around what our working group of four Republicans and four Democrats and then our mayor's group believe could be something that, that would work here. Now, the obvious question is, is can that get through an entire legislator? Because, you know, we have some really good legislators in Snohomish County on both sides of the aisle here that, you know, I'm not sure that, that their views necessarily will be representative of the entire uh, group in, in sure. Olympia here. But but it did give me hope that, you know what, prior to that, we hadn't gotten much traction uh, at all. And so I think there is the ability that if, and, and this is where I think maybe nonpartisan mayors can come and, and start the process to say, hey, this isn't political. If it was political, we wouldn't be pressing this right after an election still. So, and, and get down to business and let's just fix the problem. And so I will offer that up. And I hope that that type of bipartisan spirit that the legislators here in Snohomish County are um, accomplishing right now will take hold uh, in Olympia here come January. I'm a big fan of positive reinforcement. Can you name a couple of those Democratic sure. lawmakers who you think are, are willing to take action on this? Yeah, Senator June Robinson, I'd say, has been the leader uh, in that effort in Snohomish County. Um, Senator Marco Leas is a part of that working group, has done a great job. Um, and, and we've also got Representative Dave Paul on that group. And uh, uh, Senator Ron Mazal on the Republican side, uh, Keith Wagner, and Representative Carolyn Eslick. Um, and so, you know, that's just to, to name a few of them there um, that, I, you know, I think, you know, we're experiencing some, some real help with that. Senator John Lovick, I should mention as well, is another one uh, who's in that working group has been helpful. And uh, Representative Gilday, who, who won't be there, unfortunately, uh, next year was, was part of that as well. So that, that names them off for you. And, and of those eight, you know, I would say, you know, Senator Robinson's kind of taking the lead on it. Oh, good. But all eight of them, all eight, all eight of them have been very, very, very helpful. And uh, to me, that's that type of leadership from those eight are what we really need to see on both sides of the aisle. I hate and, uh, to I hate to change yeah. the subject really quickly, but you mentioned Greg Gilday. What about yeah. Lion Clyde Shavers? Is he? Is he John, you're like such a nice guy. You're like, dang it, Brandy, for putting me on the spot. Is uh, is Clyde Shavers going to be uh, helping with this at all? Well, you know, it's 
it's a mayors and business leaders for Sonoma County. We'll have to collectively select the next uh, member, but but I don't think it will be him because we we would need a, a Republican. We would need a fourth Republican to, to keep the the balance there. The balance um, there. Are you willing yeah. to opine on whether you think Democrats should try to should ask Clyde Shapers to resign? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to get into that. I think you know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I will. I guess I will. I will say this though, Brandy. I think. You know, it's it's interesting to me to hear the talk about the newly elected congressman from New York, mm-hmm. which I think is appalling, yeah. the level of, uh, of of lying that was done there. But it's interesting to hear people opine on that, but but are crickets um, when it comes to, to some of the things that uh, that the our own Harold Everett Harold here pointed out in that campaign. So I think consistency is important, and if you're going to call one out, then you should be willing to call the other out. If you want to stay silent on both of them, that's that's fine. I don't believe you have to necessarily be out in front on every single issue and every single candidate who does something. I don't do that, and I don't, I don't think that's necessary of politicians to do. But but if you're going to get out front on one, uh, I believe you should be consistent and uh, and call for the other to resign as well. Amen. I agree with you. A liar is a liar, regardless of political party. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to hit you with that, Mayor Nearing, but uh, you you know you brought you brought up the current holder of that seat, so I thought uh, it was a good foray into it. Well, um, yeah. Mayor Nearing, you know I think so highly of you, and I appreciate you being a, a problem solver uh, at a time when a lot of politicians in the state are causing problems. <laughs> and so I'm interested to see how much this workaround. Um, helps up there but certainly wish we didn't have to didn't have to do it so keep us uh informed on what's going on okay i will thank you so much thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about it and hope you have a great new year and that's marysville mayor john nearing here on the dory monson show brandy cruz filling in much more ahead